the most important, like consider it like a game of poker, the most important thing before winning the entire pile is making sure you don't get knocked out of the game. Hey podcast listener, you're about to discover insider tips, tricks, and secrets to making more sales and converting more prospects into customers with email marketing. For more information about the email marketing podcast or the autoresponder guy, go to dropdeadcopy.com slash podcast. Okay, it's John McIntyre here, the autoresponder guy, and it's time for episode 104 of the McMethod Marketing Podcast, where you'll discover how to convert more customers with less effort by creating an automated email marketing machine that works even if you're on the beach, hanging out in the sand, building a sandcastle, because, you know, we all like to build sandcastles. We're all kids inside, somewhere deep inside. So, today we're talking to Freddie Langsky about a very unsexy topic, to be honest, but it's actually quite important, and this is hedging your bets. Now, the problem is, most people get into the game and when they first get started in business or with marketing they have one traffic source or one uh, you know one product that they sell the problem is you know when when they get banned from that ad network because it does happen even on facebook and google or when their product falls out of favor or someone invents a better product or whatever it happens to be the business dies it explodes and uh, in, you know it explodes not in a good way either in a bad way and uh, you know that's where this comes in you really need to hedge your bets and you really need to, to basically build up some protection by having multiple traffic streams multiple products multiple ways that your business generates revenue so if one of them screws up You've always got a backup, okay? That's what we're talking about today, how to hedge your bets. It's not sexy, but it's really, really important and something that's worth understanding early in the game than later because, you know, you can make some big mistakes that cost a lot of money further down the line. To get the show notes for this episode, go to themcmethod.com slash 104. Now, I've got three mentions, three things to talk about today. And uh, number one is the reviews. If uh, if you'd like to support the show and uh, if you're listening, I'd, I'd love you to support the show. Go to iTunes, search for the Make a Method email marketing podcast, leave me a review and tell me, tell me what you think about the show. Give me the good stuff and the bad stuff. Do you want other guests? Do I speak too much? Do I ramble? Is there fluff or is it all very on point and helpful? Let me know because I'll use your feedback to improve the podcast. Now, one quick thing here is uh, if you'd like to, you know, instead of listening, just listening to the podcast and, you know, buying training products and all that, you probably don't have the time. You may not have the time for that. And if you don't, then uh, then we should we should talk because I work with clients you know with small businesses like yours to help you create more basically to basically create these campaigns for you so instead of you sitting down and do the research to learn how to write the emails to do the copy to create the hooks I can do all that for you. I can take all that off your hands so you can take all that time you would have wasted doing something that you can pay someone else to do. You can do that to focus on managing and growing your business instead of doing the, the, some of this technical work. So that's where I come in. Shoot me an email, john at themcmethod.com and we'll have a conversation on Skype this week or next to figure out if it's a good fit. Last but not least, I've got this week's McMaster's Insight of the Week which is follow a blueprint. You need a blueprint. If you're going to do anything, whether it's writing an autoresponder, writing a sales letter, creating a business, I mean, in one sense, there is no blueprint. You do have to make things up as you go along. But at the same time, do what works. Don't try and reinvent the wheel. If something's already working for someone else, there's a good chance it's going to work for you too. And instead of trying to, you know, be some creative rock star and come up with some amazing autoresponder, just follow a step-by-step system that shows you what to say where, how to say it. I mean, even use templates. Templates aren't going to be as good as something completely custom, but they're going to sure as hell going to be better than nothing, which is what's going to happen if you procrastinate and put it off and don't do anything because you don't have a blueprint. So that's where McMaster's comes in. 
comes with the McIntyre method, the flagship training program on how to write a 10 email autoresponder sequence in just four weeks. You'll do it yourself and you'll be able to update it and tweak it to your heart's content. And it's all based on a step-by-step system that anyone can follow. I, you know, I tried really hard to keep things simple and uh, that's, you know, that's really the hallmark of that program. That's inside McMaster's. There's other training programs in there. There's also a forum where you can ask questions, get feedback, really stay accountable to, uh, to the tribe and uh, make sure that you're following through on what you need to do to grow your business. And that is that. Let's get into this interview today on Hedging Your Bets with Freddie Lansky. It's John McIntyre here, the autoresponder guy. I'm here with Freddie Lansky. Now, Freddie uh, came to me through uh, the Dynamite Circle, which is a, uh, a digital nomad community is the best way to put it. Though I hate that, I hate that phrase, man, the digital nomad. But uh, basically, it's a bunch of people who work online and uh, have businesses and, and do all that that fun lifestyle stuff. And uh, so anyway, so he sent me a message and uh, I was like, oh, man, let's do a podcast. Let's talk about some email marketing or some uh, YouTube stuff or a bunch of different things. And we settled on a topic which is sort of, it's not really very sexy to be honest but uh, it's things like security it's really we summed it up Freddie summed it up as uh, hedging your bets which is going to be you know it can be very exciting when you first get started you know with Facebook or Google Ads or something like that and you're getting a lot of traffic but then it's <laughs> sooner or later there's gonna be a problem and you're gonna get banned from Facebook or Google's gonna do one of their algorithm updates and all the traffic to your site is gonna vanish in the space of about one hour which is uh, what happened to me a couple of years ago. Which you know, it's not very fun when that happens. So, you've got to hedge your bets. Now, uh, Freddie has a, a website on uh, chess, onlinechesslessons.net. So, if you're into chess, definitely check that out. But that's uh, the site where a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about today is going on. He also he's also doing this thing with No Hat Digital. I think is the is the name. There's a house down in Mexico somewhere, and it's for people who you know have an online business, need to go down, hang out, sort of like a. But the sound of it, my impression, he'll probably explain. He can explain more about it in a second. Sounds a little bit like uh, like a college house, like a bunch of a bunch of guys. Maybe there's girls there oh, too. God. A bunch of people <laughs> starting businesses, probably drinking and having parties and uh, who knows what. But uh, all in the name of building an online business and traveling the world and you know quitting the rat race. So I'm going to hear a little bit more about that too, Freddie. Hey. Going, man. Hey, how are you? That's, that's quite an epic introduction. <laughs> <laughs> did, that, did I get that right about the house, man? What's I mean, what, what exactly is this house? Yeah, it's so funny. All my friends uh, keep calling it the real world house. Oh, you're in the real world house, but it's really not a lot of drama here. Just people doing Pomodoro sessions, waking up at you know eight in the morning, crushing workout, and yeah, it's just oh, a generally. Oh, you don't know about this. So this is uh, I, I learned this one uh, around DCBKK. It's uh, co-working space in Thailand. It's basically a bunch of people getting a group together and then they do 25 minutes of working, five minutes off, 25 minutes of working, five minutes off. And during the 25 minutes you have to work and during the five minutes you have to take the time off and go outside, jump on a trampoline, whatever you have to do. And uh, before each 25 minute session starts, everybody tells each other what they're going to be working on. And this sounds kind of ridiculous, um, but for some reason it makes people really, really productive because now suddenly they feel like, oh, these other people are, you know, doing work. And if I'm sitting here on Facebook, then, you know, it's messed up. And it's, it's weird. It's, it's like this psychology thing where it makes you more productive and, and not uh, distracted because you just did like a verbal affirmation of what you're supposed to be working on. And it sounds kind of silly and childish, but it actually works. Nice. Okay. Okay. I've, I've tried it before. I've just never done it in a group. So uh, it'd be interesting to see what, you know, how, what the group effect is. 
I find when I'm in an office with a bunch of friends, well, we, we might work for you know five. This is exaggerating, but <laughs> we might work for five minutes and then uh, talk about random stuff for another you know 20 minutes. Do a bit more work, talk for a bit. Like we don't really have a routine with it, which would probably help. But anyway, so uh, before we get into some of the uh, the stuff here, the the hedging the bets, which is really the sexiest topic in the world. <laughs> yeah, we got Megan Fox coming on the show right here. This is what this is about today. But <laughs> what's uh, can you give the listener a background on on who you are? And what you do, and, and a bit about what uh, why why you're so passionate about what we're going to talk about today. Okay. Um, well, first of all, I uh, was a backpacker before I became the. That's funny. You bring up the term digital nomad. I was a digital nomad for years, but I didn't know there was a comedian. I didn't even know there was a word. And then people were laughing. I was like, I'm a digital nomad now. Like, you know, and it's funny. Like all these different disparate people are kind of finding each other in these different communities and houses and online communities as well and and just sticking together so that's a little bit of background on me I was a backpacker and I started this business in Argentina with a business partner of mine who's a chess master and we started it was just uh, private tutoring that was our original offering and uh, that was about a year of misery where my uh, business partner was teaching like 40 hours a week and and using all that money to you know invest on making the site better and building traffic and then we moved into digital download products and that was just like ding 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 jackpot like you know revenue went from a few k a month to five figures instantly and uh yes i mean since then that's become our main offering are these chess videos if you're not into chess this is basically one of the main ways people learn chess besides reading books is they watch videos where it's generally a chessboard and now more recently last year or two chessboard and a webcam and they talk about so-and-so opening or middle game or you know the best games of so-and-so player and uh it's a kind of an old school industry it's it's been around for a while it was a lot bigger in the 90s and then kind of in the early 2000s, it collapsed the old model of doing business where someone would spend $20,000 of a production on a DVD at a big studio and then distributed all these chess shops. And it was kind of dark ages for a few years. And we moved in just at the right time to kind of start it back up again, where we hire grandmasters to record these chess videos at home with a simple screen recording software, find a streamlined way to edit it and get these out really, really easily. And that's kind of our competitive advantage. So that's that's where we are now. And then about a year ago, found all these communities, moved into email marketing, just moving into this conversion rate optimization marketing and all this really exciting stuff that's just like, wow, this is just going to be the most cost-effective way of just expanding and scaling my business. Nice, nice. Okay, okay. So what's been the biggest win? I'm curious, like I asked you, over the last few years, where's been... This is a really quick question, but what's been what's been the biggest win in the last year? The biggest lesson? The biggest like boom? This is good. Um, biggest the good lesson. Um, really, just email marketing over the last year. I know it's it's kind of funny. We're going to talk about the dangers of only depending on email marketing, and then it's going to be preceded by me saying email marketing. But it really is. I mean, you know, Facebook and YouTube and all this stuff are great, but you got to get the email. You got to get the email addresses. Is that's just where all the conversions happen? Something about somebody clicking from Facebook or Google or YouTube. YouTube, they're quite warm as well, but still not as warm as the email traffic and just building autoresponders. And then I'm a big Infusionsoft user now, uh, splitting up the autoresponders by skill level. That's something else we do. And then now we, uh, I, I listened to one, I think it was one of your uh, podcasts with the guy from Deadline Funnel. We haven't checked that out yet, but I'm so excited to try to build these time-dependent sales that just work in the long-term funnel because right now it's like each week we have a 50% sale on one specific item and we have to like set all this stuff up and it's not automated at all. So I think that's, you know, really right now where the money's at. 
Yeah, man, it's it's incredible what you can do with those deadline funnels. There's a bunch of software that you can use, and and um, it's because adding urgency to it, adding like a discount and the urgency to it, just cranks up the. Uh, just cranks the sales up it's really yeah. it's really fascinating to watch so when you work that into the funnel automatically it makes your job so much easier and it's you know it's like these promotions that are going out and you just kind of sit back and collect the checks yeah it's 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 pretty uh pretty incredible absolutely all right so tell me about this hedging your bets thing what's uh what's in it for someone who's going to hedge their bets why is this why should this think, be a sexy topic i mean it's it's not really sexy but it's just something to think about like so as I was telling you up until maybe 13 months ago, I, I never like came across this whole entrepreneur community. I was just kind of doing my thing. And when I did start talking to a lot of people that run all these different businesses and networking like crazy, for example, where you're, you're in Chiang Mai, right? Yeah. So many entrepreneurs there. And there was just a recurring theme where it seems to me people have kind of just one product or one traffic source or you know one way of conversion or one specific it's it's just like they're putting all their eggs in one basket and it just seems like very very high unnecessarily high risk where if you're kind of a lower level entrepreneur and you're still trying to move from you know five to six figures or six to seven figures you know it's the most important like consider like a game of poker the most important thing before winning the entire pile is making sure you don't get knocked out of the game and I just noticed so many people, it's like, you know, they sell one product, like, well, what if that product, uh, some competitor comes out with something? I mean, could you sell their product? I mean, what's your hedge on that? What's your, what's your hedge on traffic? I mean, you get maybe well, so many people depend so much on Google or Facebook or, well, I guess not so much YouTube. And I always kind of mixed up the traffic between affiliate referrals, Google, YouTube, word of mouth, um, and all these different things. So if something happened, you, you have a little bit of a hedge, you know, that the house isn't on fire. And we also, it was, it's funny, we decided in the end that we were almost, we do eBay and Amazon sales, and they've never really equaled to that that much, you know, just a few percent, maybe four or five percent each of our total income. And we were almost going to get rid of it because I was listening to a lot of this whole like 80 20 and getting rid of uh, the, the non performing assets and things like that. But in terms of as long as it's not taking up your personal time, if it's not taking up your time, then any investment you've already made that's making more than zero, there's no reason to not let it go. So that's kind of how we built our business a lot. You know, we get YouTube ads, we get um, money from eBay, Amazon, and a little bit from wholesale deals as well. And it all kind of balances out a little bit. So if say something really bad happened on Google or Facebook or YouTube that, you know, our business wouldn't be wiped out in one day. Mm. What's interesting here is I've been having this conversation with a few people here in Chiang Mai lately. It's this idea of like oh, cool. <laughs> people get this. Well, yeah, I mean, people have a, end up with a business that does. I had a friend who had a business that was doing uh, upwards of $5 million a year. And so they were, as far as the revenue and the sales were concerned, they were raking it and they were loving it. They were, uh, you know, one of them bought a new car and, you know, a whole bunch of cool right. stuff was going on. And then they didn't know how to, you know, uh, the balance sheet, right? The balance sheets, uh, one, of the, one of the sheets in the business tracks these numbers. They, it, you know, had some warning signals and things like that. And, and basically they were running out of cash. And the whole thing imploded. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so they went from going, you know, from, you know, five, six million dollars to, you know, in debt. And then the company yeah. down. I think this happens a lot too. Because, yeah, the, people think the bigger that, of a game. Yeah. Yeah. People think that gravy train's never going to end. Because that's what <laughs> yeah. you're talking about here, right? You have a site, you have some traffic from Google or Facebook or YouTube. And uh, this is assumption that, oh man, we're making so much. Maybe we're making $5,000 a day. This is just so great. And you think it's just always going to go on and up and on and up. And then one day something happens. And um, especially if you're new, if you haven't 
if you don't know anyone who's done this or had this happen to them or it hasn't happened to you, it's really easy to think, oh, it'll never happen to me. Yeah, yeah, de definitely until until it does. But the funny thing is, like, the bigger of a game you're playing when it comes to your business, the easier it is to get wiped out. I mean, it's like at the point where we're at, I mean, we have to make, like, two Gs a day just, just to basically break even this month. Imagine if something goes tanking, it's like, boom, you can end up with six figures in debt just in your company collat like you know, the higher up you go, the bigger of a game you're playing. You know, I think it was you that mentioned as well that book, All the Money in the World. Mm. I've been I've been plowing through a little bit. It's a really long, long book, but it talks about some of the Forbes 400 people that just they, they got a little too crazy and just one or two wrong bets just just wiped them off the map, like from billions to, you know, 30,000 a year or something like yeah. that. Like really crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I think like people, you know, often think that, you know, it's money that you make once you've made it, um, you know, it's it's not going to go away you're kind of there and you got to be cocky and relaxed you know and uh i mean that's one thing you mentioned here is that like tony robbins he did that book uh, called money and there's a bunch of interviews that uh, are out there too tell me about that oh yeah yeah i was uh okay so i didn't read the book like you but i did listen to the two-hour podcast between tony robbins and tim ferris so it gave me a pretty solid idea of what the book is about but uh, you know it was one quote that stuck out to me from tim ferris that was i think specifically to warren buffett it's like oh well how, how do you make your financial decisions and before you would think he would say, oh, just trying to find the highest rate of return. But instead, he said to make sure that I can't lose. That's the most important part. So if they, if these billionaires had two paths, one which they might make a very big return, but they might lose a bunch and another one where it's guaranteed that they won't lose any money, they always take that one. And then there was I think it was another thing in the podcast where they talked about in the book. I don't remember who it was, but to, to teach their kids the lessons of about how to make an investment that's a guaranteed rate of return. They bought like five million nickels, uh, which apparently the value of a U.S. nickel in terms of the alloys that it's made of is worth more than the five cents itself. And they were like, son, here, here you look at it. Here's an investment you can't lose. You know, we got these for five cents and the alloy is worth eight. Like those are the types of investments you need to make. So I think it's good to take that mentality into your business where you're having multiple streams of income, multiple products, multiple traffic sources, multiple promotional sources, and kind of stick your tentacles everywhere. I mean, we even sell our competitors' products to make sure that you're always staying relevant. Uh, I mean, look at the, the most extreme in case of that would be Amazon where – they sell everything. How, do, how, does, how does something that sells everything on the cheapest price going to go out of business? It never is. Um, so, and people say, oh, well, you know, what about the paradox of choice, right? Paradox of choice. We should sell two or three products. You're going to be overwhelmed. Well, I say to those people, why can't you have your cake and eat it too? On one hand, have a whole range of product offerings. And on the other hand, if through your email marketing and direct mail marketing, Facebook marketing and YouTube marketing, promote the products at the time, like your own products or those that are performing the best or the most profitable. And if things change, you still have the traffic, you still have the momentum. You know, the only way that we could personally really go out of business is if chess becomes completely unpopular, which is not very likely. <laughs> mm -hmm. But even that, that was, it could happen. You never, you never know. I mean, one thing I've noticed about email marketing over the last year or two, don't you feel like websites are getting so aggressive with it, with these unbalanced, like these pop-ups and just like all over the place? Like, I mean, it's it's crazy. I, I Don't you feel like email market, depending too much on, e I love email marketing. I started with that. But don't you feel that right now there might be just a cold war that starts with people's email addresses because these unbalanced exchange and pop-ups and sidebar and below the article, but it, people, they're just getting their solicited, their email too much where they're just like getting kind of annoyed with each site. So 
maybe two years from now, it's going to be a lot harder to get people's email. Or maybe also what's happening with Google is so many of these emails are ending up in the promotion box, not the spam, but the promotion, which is some people say it's okay. I think it's almost as bad. I don't know how much people are checking their promotion box where people say, oh, well, Facebook, you know, they screwed us all over in 2012. They said build up your list on Facebook and now you basically can't reach them unless you pay. That'll never happen with email. But what if it does? There's some weird scenario where Google says, oh, pay us to be a trustworthy program to get to your list. And suddenly email marketing becomes more expensive because everybody's it's it's possibility. So don't depend just on email marketing. Diversify that too. I mean, I it's some good points there, but I also think though that like Google would never charge people to get into the inbox. Because that'd be like that'd be like Google Yeah, I guess that's a little too extreme. Well, that'd be like Google away. facilitating like blackout spams. In a way they're charging people like for, you know, Google ads to go and show up at the top of the search results, which is similar, but you can do that with email and pay for ads that appear in the Gmail inbox above you know, above emails. So that's the equivalent there. Um, it's one of these things though like I think like this is looking at the nitty gritty if you zoom out if yeah. you zoom out and you look at it from that, that broad thing the idea of business is you have a product or a series of products and you have a market or a series of markets that you sell it to and then all these different things whether it's Facebook or email or you know Google AdWords or all these different things they're all just distribution channels so the main thing is don't depend on I mean the here thing here, um, the thing here is don't depend on one single channel um, for your marketing which is funnily enough exactly what Brian Kurtz said on a podcast we did uh, I believe it was six months ago now. Brian Kurtz is the, uh, or was the, um, the, I think he was the director of Boardroom or vice president of Boardroom Inc. So huge direct mail, direct response company. And that was his saying. He said he set up a site. I don't think he's using it. But he set up a site called Single Channel Marketing is Boring. But he was going from that, oh, it's boring if you just use one channel. But I mean, the point remains is like, don't just have one channel, whether it's email or whether it's Facebook or whatever it is. You can never really know how things are going to change. But only having one channel is like having a table with one leg. Yeah, it's definitely true. Yeah, maybe I got a little carried away. Okay, Google's not going to charge uh, for uh, – it's a little bit extreme. But I, I, I do see in the next year or two or three, email marketing is going to get tougher because you and I are not the only ones privy to all this stuff that's going on right now. Like, oh, well, you know, Google's getting harder to predict. Facebook's cut off their traffic unless you do organic. And YouTube's always been tough. We just got lucky that we had a market that fits for it. So – you know, what's next is whatever traffic you get, try to get their email and it's just gotten more and more aggressive. So um, I, I can I can notice some of the trends because a lot of times like so we run our site in English and Spanish and we're actually going to expand in uh, three more languages this year. And in Spanish, people are much more receptive to the idea of giving an email for, you know, the son. So we call them the 10 grand master secrets, just a five or six email course before we put them in kind of in the long-term autoresponder that teaches them a little bit about chess. I mean, sometimes in Spanish, we have one box in particular, the one below the article that in Spanish will convert 70 or 80%, whereas in English, it'll just convert at 20% because the English market is just being marketed to so hard. And um, another thing that maybe some similarities is like in the late 1990s, you know, like there used to be those pop-up ads where it'd say, hey, you won so-and-so amount of money, congratulations. And when those when those ads came out, they actually had like massive conversion rates. And within two or three years, it just dropped because everybody found out about it and everybody jumped on it. And I'm not saying that that might happen with email marketing because it's been around for 20 some odd years, but it does seem that right now everyone's really focusing on it so to really hone down your email marketing your autoresponder's got to be good your 
your bribe has to be good. The initial landing pages have to be, it's definitely, it's going to get tougher. Like I know it's going to get tougher, especially in the English market. So be prepared for that and also have other sources. I mean, we have YouTube, uh, Facebook ads as well. Uh, and then just directly from, from Google as well. So, you know, I feel like we're pretty hedged, but it's, it's funny, this whole thing about Right now, there's like this trend among entrepreneurs where it's like, oh, cut every single that kind of 80. I like the 80-20 idea, but sometimes people interpret it the wrong way where it says, oh, just take your most profitable sales channel, your most profitable product and just get rid of everything else. Well, it's not so simple. Like maybe in the short term, that might make you more money, but why not both ways where you scale up the most profitable one, but if any of your other products or sales channels or anything else are making you money, keep them just in case. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a good point. That yeah, I mean, eighty twenty is really easy to misunderstand, though. When I thought, you know, when I first heard about it in the four hour work week, I'm thinking, so what you're saying, Tim, because it was you know Tim Ferriss, what you're saying yeah. is that I can I can work for two hours and get the same result that I, I get with ten hours. But I'm like, well, what if I want to work ten hours? You know, <laughs> instead of thinking, well, right, how about I just work those two hours on those really important tasks and then just duplicate those two hours? I didn't really get it at that first day. It was like this, this tiny error, which really kind of meant I misunderstood the whole 80-20 thing four or five years ago. Um, yeah. But this kind of thing, if you look at like trends, because like we, you know, we, the way we think is we think that, you know, time is like we're here and there's the past and there's the future. Time's this ongoing thing. The trend is this ongoing thing. So like, you know, like any market, anything any skill or skill set or channel in the market, it's, it's going to get more, generally it's going to get more competitive over time, which means you're going to need more skills, which means you should keep listening to the email marketing podcast. But uh, Not it's, a bad idea. <laughs> so uh, all the latest trends will be right here. But, um, you know, it's you, I mean, this is an interesting thing with direct mail, right? A lot of people, have, I think, from what I've heard, the guy friends who do direct mail, because most people have moved away from it because they're doing the internet and social media and email now, direct mail is actually, um, the effectiveness, I think in some instances, has actually increased with direct mail as opposed to decreased. Oh, yeah, no, there's a big time comeback. We've just been experimenting with it. It's it's quite hard to, to set up some of the more complex stuff, but I, I think with email marketing, uh, I mean, with email marketing, with, with just direct mail marketing, there's a lot of potential right now. There's a funny meme on the internet or just a little graphic that sometimes pops up on my Facebook feed or shows like 1990s and it has, you know, someone with a bunch of junk mail holding all the direct mail and they're like, I'll throw it out. And it says, you got mail. And they're all excited that they got the one email message. And then it shows 20 years later and it's the exact opposite where they have a bunch of emails like, yeah, whatever. And then they got a little something in, in the actual snail mail, direct mail, and they're all excited about that. So I, yeah, I, 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 I your podcast have to at least contribute to our looking into direct mail marketing as well. But I, I do see potential with that. And I do think that moving to direct mail could be part of the game because, I mean, things go digital, but people still live somewhere. I mean, direct mail isn't going away. And right now, no one wants to spend the money. And I wanted I wanted to do something. This is uh, we have Infusionsoft hooked in with Fix Your Funnel, hooked in with Send Out Cards. And one thing that I haven't figured out how to do with them is send um, – messages that have a, a coupon code with their actual name on it and the time expiring date. So right now everyone kind of gets the same message. The only merge we've been able to do is their name. But we tried that with a email forwarding follow-up where after they have a successful purchase or abandoned cart or a variety of different scenarios, they get these 
custom-made coupons that last just you know two days from the date that uh, they get the email, and it has their last name in it. I might have heard, I heard on some podcasts, it might have been yours, that to put their name in the code will drastically increase the, the conversion rate, and I'm trying to figure out a way to do that in direct mail where after the purchase follow-up, they get the same email with the coupon code, and boom, then in the direct mail, they get their custom coupon code that would say McIntyre23, but this offer expires on so-and-so date with that specific you know, 48 hour or whatever week period to that specific customer. That would just be so powerful combining all these things together. Yeah. I think, I think you're absolutely right, man. I mean, I don't think that'd be too, I don't know, maybe it's, I haven't tried to do that, so I don't know how hard it would be, but uh, a good developer and some software, I reckon that's your, that's your savior right there. Yeah, a good developer. I know they're out there, right? <laughs> the other thing I've noticed um, from uh, the Tony Robbins book is, is this will probably, like, because I don't have like a business background. I, you know, a lot of people don't know that I actually dropped out of high school and then went to college and dropped out of college and then, you know, nice. skipped to university. And Good for so, you. Yeah, it, it worked out <laughs> all right in the end. But because of that, like, I don't have a... Um, Wait, did you, you got, did you get interviewed for the, um, you remember for DCVKK, the, those little 10 minute interviews, um, with that guy, was it Till Carlos? Yeah, I did one of those, yeah. Yeah, did, did you see mine where it's, he was just cracking up because he was like, what do you think of higher education? And I was just like, it's a huge scam, you know, especially in the States. And like mine was like the most <laughs> crazy vocal. So, um, yeah, good for you, man. You got you're, you're You would be a type case example of who I mentioned in that little five minute interview. Someone who, you know, high school, college, it depends on some if you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, maybe you need to do it. But if you're trying to do you know, marketing and online business and stuff. You, if you do five years of that while someone else is in college, you're just going to be light years ahead of everybody else. Exactly, exactly. But the interesting thing here is that when you don't have like a business background, it's easy to go into, you know, I first got into business, I didn't really understand money. You know, money is like, you know, what money is and how to use it and what it takes to manage a successful business. And, you know, reading uh, the Tony Robbins book about money, and this is such a fundamental idea that some people are probably going to like chuckle and laugh because, you know, how simple this is. But the basic idea is spend less than you earn. And, that like violating that single principle has put so many people out of business and so many people made so many people bankrupt like even really experienced people people who make a lot of money and they go and instead of you know I was on a network uh, network marketing and MLM page the other day a sales page for a product and this woman's story was like oh you know we, we, we figured out this network marketing thing started making you know a whole bunch of money and so we bought a new house and a new car and that was a you know her story about like you know why she'd be impressed and I was like why we should be impressed. And I remember thinking, reading that, going, oh no, she's just digging an d- even deeper hole. And if, when this thing when this thing stops working or when you know there's a problem, she might have to take six months off, the whole thing's going to you know, explode. Uh, and so, there's so many, yeah. That takes a while to, you know, to understand. So like one way to increase that, uh, to hedge your bets, is spend as little as you can. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it was your podcast. I think it was actually recommended to me by a, a friend. There was the book Profit First. Have you heard of this book? I forget the name of the author, but it talks about a lot of the struggles that entrepreneurs have where it's like they always have this mentality if you have with a bunch of months, maybe not completely in the red, but barely making any profit and you're just convinced that all these investments are going to pay off and oh, in two months down the road, that's when things are really going to explode and no, 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 two months go by, it's like, okay, after the December sale, that's when things are really going to, and this sounds just like our company and this guy's like, look, you either have a profitable company or you don't <laughs> and that's when I realized, well, I kind of don't, like we're having these massive revenue numbers but the profit is just, you know, I mean, you know, we have enough for my, you know, comfy little salary to travel and things like that but, you know, this massive, for, 
with the amount of time that we've been working, you know, we, we can't just keep assuming that oh, we, it's hard as a bootstrapper because you don't have all this Silicon Valley funding. You have all these crazy, exciting things you want to do. But at the same time, you have to steer the ship and divide the, the gross from investments to grow your company and know which ones are the smartest and the best and take a little bit home for yourself. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, right? So, so that's, that's kind of where you get in this book is just, it, I never did the whole profit first system. It gets really crazy where they say you have like five or six different accounts and things like that. Um, but I did have one takeaway where I opened a second bank account, just the savings. Uh, it could call it savings tax, whatever. And if there is profit, we move it over there. So we've managed to put a little nest egg there too. And that's what he recommends as well is if you don't, if like, he, he gives an example like if your just website went down today and you incurred all your liabilities without any of your revenue, how long would you have before you went chapter 11 in terms of savings? And he recommends at least two – you should have at least two months in the bank just to make sure you're hedging your bets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things where like you just don't <clears> – <throat> You just don't know what's going to happen. And this is why it's not sexy because like, people love to talk about their revenue and sales and oh, well, you know, our conversion rates are off the charts. Yeah. And, you know, all this, it's just like how people like to talk about open rates. And yeah, people business. like to talk about revenue a lot more than profit. Exactly. <laughs> including I mean, myself. Profit's misleading though. Like, you know, I used to I used to think that, you know, that was true and it's true in a sense but at the same time, like profit just, you might, you know, if you go to a few conferences and catch a few, you know, catch a few flights but that, that, Investments ultimately going to pay off over the next five years, but all that money is going to come on the come on under the uh, under the expenses of that month, depending on how you expense it. And so then you've got no yeah. profit for that month, but technically you do have a profit because really that expense you could really spread that over the next five years. It is it is true. The line gets a little bit blurry sometimes. I mean, it's funny you bring that up. I finally, I mean, when I went to DCBKK, I had to pay all that by myself, and I finally convinced my partner that me going to these conferences is actually a uh, a good investment. So he. We decided I get like a 1K budget a month. So now I'm just like, woohoo, I'm going to head to Phoenix. I'm going to head to San Diego. I'm going to head to Austin. I'm just going to just network like crazy. And it's just, it's so exciting. You never know who you're going to meet at conferences. You're talking to a guy in the hall. You have no idea who he is. Later you find out, you know, he's been on CNN and Time Magazine and stuff. And you're like, holy crap, you know, I just met these guys. I mean, that's, that's where the magic happens really is the networking at conferences. And even if you're not looking for investment or clients, networking always in the long run pays. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir now. You understand just for doing these podcasts, you get to meet all these people and just have that first, you know, that first touch where you guys are doing this interview together where they're not going to forget you and just opportunities arise that way. Yeah, this podcast has done done absolute wonders for, for my whole business. I've done a, I've done a couple. Yeah, I mentioned it a few times. I've interviewed recently with, with someone on this podcast. He interviewed me about the podcast and how, how it came to be and all that. And uh, I mean, podcasting is very oh, yeah, smart strategy, one, yeah. but it makes a huge difference in the long run. So, I'm yeah, not yeah. but you, soon. You, you can't look at it the way a web entrepreneur looks at it, like Google Analytics. Like, oh, I had two hundred and four. Because who, who are who who are these people really? It's like, would you rather have a hundred influencers listening to you? Or a hundred thousand nobodies listen to you. I would much rather have a hundred influencers. So when you look at it like that, it's just the podcast. I've always wanted to start my own podcast. I, I still haven't had the chance yet, but I just think for networking, it just it's just such an easy way to to kind of I guess level up in terms of your network of who you're meeting. Because you know if if you talk to somebody who's you know the CEO of a big company and you try to pitch them something, they're gonna be like, ah, get get out of my face. But if you say, hey man, I just want to interview for forty five minutes. Like I just love what you do. Like 
you know, people people like to talk about themselves. So I'm just like, yeah, of course, you know, and, and that's just so incredible. And I just got into listening to podcasts this year and I thought it was just, you know, I didn't understand at first. And then I kind of like kind of kind of get it. It's like for, for the listener, you get to hear the brightest minds. And then for you doing a podcast yourself, it's just the networking galore. It's just you're always your go to thing. Everyone doesn't mind doing a podcast. Yeah. I mean, and the other thing, too, the kind of the sneaky thing about it is that because when you have a podcast, everyone listens to you, but you don't you don't li- like I don't listen to all of my listeners. Right. So when I go course, somewhere, yeah. often there's this there's this phenomenon, which took, took a while to get used to, to be honest. But it's where people come over and they're like, hey, I'm like, yeah, John, what's your name? And they're like, oh, you're John. Oh, I've listened to your podcast for the last year it's great oh that's awesome and it's yeah. kind of like weird because you're a bit like they they because they feel like cause I, i've had this thing happen when i was another bill's podcast is i feel like i know the person whose podcast is because i spend so much time with them walking around and listening to the podcast so i know yeah. that it's happening in reverse this person who i'm chatting to knows all about me knows how i talk and <laughs> knows the jokes i like and, and all that sort of stuff and meanwhile i've got no idea who they are that's great it's just like it's just doing the networking for you while you sleep <laughs> Yeah, I mean, even that, even with like bigger guys, like I wonder, uh, you know, who's actually going to be listening, say, to this right now, who's listening to the other ones? Because I'm sure there's, there's guys that, you know, guys that have emailed me before, I won't mention any names, but you've emailed me out of the blue to kind of be like, oh, I've heard good things, or I've been listening to the podcast, or I've seen sometimes people sign up to the email list and go, I don't know who you are. And uh, sometimes I hit them up, but it's amazing how that, it's like passive networking, you know? It's great. It's like when I bring my dog to the park to meet girls, it's like I just let him loose and he just. <laughs> Chase them down, bites them on the neck, you know. Yeah, well, it, well I don't know about biting them on the neck, but yeah. it's not a, it's not a rabid, rabid dog. It was fun. I actually got to bring him from Atlanta to to Mexico, so we got to fly together, and I got to. Speaking of feeling like a celebrity, with me and my little dog in his bag at the airport, I'm like, hey, what's up? Nice. Traveling with nice. the dog, Meet so. The ladies on the plane. Yeah, yeah. Well. <laughs> kind of like comatose because I, I didn't sleep at all that night. I had like a 7 a.m. flight and I was just working until 5 in the morning. I'm like, okay, it's like almost 5 now. I'm clearly not going to sleep. So it was just a little bit of a of a blur. But yeah, no, I should talk a little bit about the house that I'm living at here, man. This is just crazy networking. People just, just running through here all the time. This has been like the coolest experience ever. I've been here since the end of January at this No Hat Digital house. And I'll Tell me about the house. Here. What's, what's the concept of this house, the No Hat Digital thing? So I, I, I guess they've only been doing the, the house thing for a few months. It's, it's funny to bring that up about eggs in one basket. I they think they had like a pretty bad like PBN hit in their business. So I guess one of the ways they've ex- expanded uh, a little bit of, of revenue is they do like kind of um, – I want to say conferences, but the short two or three week training where people come and hang out. And then on top of that, for, you know, DCers and other people in No Hat House, you can also just live here for, um, I guess it's uh, 400 a month for a shared room or 800 a month for your own room and then 400 more for food. And so it's like the cleaning and the food is just taking care of you. It's really healthy. I've gone from like the last six months, I, I did so much traveling. I went all over Europe, all over Thailand. Then I went from China all the way to Italy by train, and I was just, you know, I was just fat and out of shape and not feeling too well. And since then, just you get in such a good routine here. People hit the gym every day, working out every day, and everybody's just got the same mentality. And and it's 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 good to be around that. It's it's been pretty incredible. And they have a backyard where the dog just kind of does his business on his own, so I don't have to walk him anymore. So, you know, forget about automating your business. This is like automating your life. <laughs> so you have just so much more time. It's great. Nice, man. Nice. Well, we're right on time here. So 
before we go though, someone, uh, the listener, might want to hear more about you or get in contact or maybe even just go check out this know-how digital thing. So where's the best place for them to go and uh, do some of that stuff? Okay. Um, well, if for people who are in the Dynamite circle, they would just you know check the uh, post there. And No Hat Digital is available at nohatdigital.com. And when you go to the homepage, you'll see right on the top, come work with us in Valle de Bravo. And uh, you can just sign up there and sign up for the mansion. And the city is about two hours outside of Mexico City. And you know, it's not too bad. It's a quiet little town, not, not too much distractions, but it's, it's, it's a good rhythm, like people working hard during the week and then you know, a little bit of partying on the weekend. And uh, it's, it's just been great here. It's, been, it's a total 180 from, like last year was the final hurrah of my crazy backpacking life. I used to be just so adamant about seeing new countries, and I, I still am. But living, moving places every three or seven days, you know, I feel you hit your late 20s. You want to do the slow travel life as recommended by Tim Ferriss and Dan Andrews and everybody else. So I've moved into that and it's just, it's great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm with you, man. I've been in Thailand for, you know, I left the Philippines two and a half years ago. I moved to Thailand. I was like, oh, I'll just check this place out. Too. It's, not, like- it's, not, it's not all too different from Chiang Mai because just like in Chiang Mai, you're just, uh, you know, 50,000 baht uh, flight away from Bangkok or what is that, $50, whatever. Mm. Um, I forget what the baht is. Maybe that's totally inaccurate. 50,000 50, baht is almost two gram. Oh, is it? Okay, I was totally... So you're, look, you're okay. looking at like 2,000 2, baht to get to Bangkok. 2,000 baht, yeah, Bangkok. But at the same time, the, the town is quiet. It's got tons of entrepreneurs and it's not too distracting and also pretty just easygoing, laid-back life. So not too different from here where we have this town that's even quieter than Chiang Mai. It's really just a little tiny town. Uh, it's famous for this big man-made lake they have in the center where people go paragliding and people come up from Mexico City on the weekend. So sometimes on Saturday, there's a little bit of a party, but for the most part, just a quiet town. But when you want to go into Mexico City, it's two hours away. And uh, I wrote a big post on DC. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Mexico City, especially for people who were raised in the States. It's where they hail from. It's just has so many advantages close to the States. It's cheap, so much going on. And that's only two hours away. Epic, I like it. I like it. All of a link to uh, the Know How Digital site in the show notes at themethod.com. Freddie, thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much, man. It's been a pleasure. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you want to discover more insider tips, tricks, and secrets about driving sales with email marketing, sign up for daily email tips from the autoresponder guy. Go to dropdeadcopy.com slash podcast, sign up, confirm your email address, and I'll send you daily emails on how to improve your email marketing and make more sales via email. You'll find out why open rates don't matter and the seven-letter word that underlies all effective marketing and much more. Oh,